So often today when I am watching television, someone on screen will say something and I find myself saying, that's not true. Because I know the Bible. When you know the Bible, when you stay in the Bible, you read the Bible, you live by the scriptures, and they become a part of you. Very often, you see in an opposite way from the way of this world. So often they talk about how the world will be destroyed or end or what will happen in the end. We don't have to guess about it. We know. We who know the Bible know what is coming upon this world. We don't have to be concerned about what man does. It's not going to end by the will of man. The earth will end by the will of God. That gives me comfort. For if God does it, am I supposed to be afraid? Can I trust God? Trusting God is really what it's all about. Putting your trust in God, learning that He helps His children. I was so grateful when God revealed Himself to me and I was born again. In Romans chapter 12, verse 1, Paul says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. It certainly was reasonable to me because I was so grateful. When we're born again, we are pulled out of the world. We basically become dead to the world. I know a story of a woman in East Texas, who had been a homosexual, a lesbian all her life. And she was violently turned. One time she even threw a radio through the plate glass door at a principal's office. She was extremely violent. She went into the hospital for an operation the night before the operation, a nurse came to her bedside and talked with her and said something to this effect. Peggy, when you wake up tomorrow from your operation, you're not going to be the way you used to be. Peggy has a medical background, and so she said, yes, I know. The nurse said, no, what I'm saying is the people you once enjoyed, you will no longer enjoy. You will be totally different. Peggy had the operation, and the next day, her friends came to see her, her lesbian friends, and Peggy just couldn't stand it. She went to church then. And she tried to develop friends with Christians. 
she had somehow been born again, apparently during this time. She went back, this was a small town she lived in, she went back to try to find the nurse that had talked to her the night before, and no such nurse existed. They had no one at that hospital that was this woman who had visited Peggy. It must have been a miracle from God. It certainly sounds like it. When we are born again, we're changed. Whatever sins we participated in before are distasteful to us. We're even ashamed of what we did before we were born again. As Christians, we know we are born again. We have the Spirit of God in us now to lead us and to guide us. So it certainly is our reasonable service that our bodies be given to God for his service. And Paul told us in verse 2, Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's reading the Bible. By renewing your mind to what God says. We live in an extremely dangerous time today. It's not the kind of danger of the 1940s, which was visible. This is almost an invisible danger. Because as we grow in these decades, we become nearer and nearer and nearer to the return of Jesus. And as you see us getting nearer to the return of Jesus, we are told in the Bible the wickedness increases, not decreases, increases. The fabric of morality as we know it from the Bible, is attacked in every direction. Where people used to be restrained in sexual intercourse because of the fear of having a baby. Today, that fear has basically been eliminated. But there's one thing they overlook. God said in 1 Corinthians 6, at the time of sexual intercourse, you become one flesh with that person. He warned the young men of his day, Paul did. He said, you want to take your body and make them members of an harlot? Don't you know your body is the member of Christ? For he said, Took become one flesh, even if it's a harlot. I don't know any real restraint that is as strong as that. Because otherwise, it looks like it's just doesn't matter. It, society prints it, presents it as it really doesn't matter. Enjoy yourself. Do whatever you want to do. But Paul warns us very strongly about it. 
If we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, starting at verse 15, Paul says, Know ye not that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of an harlot? God forbid. What? Know ye not that he which is joined to a harlot is one body? He who is joined to a prostitute is one body? For two, saith he, shall be one flesh. Paul shows us very clearly at the time of sexual intercourse you become one flesh with that other person. I have before done this and I will do this again and that's encourage parents teach your young men and women these truths from the Bible you can do this but if you do you become one flesh with this man or woman at the time of sexual intercourse do you really want to do that maybe they do at that age but it could ruin your life. You might never again be quite as solid. I would see you being fragmented some way. And if you're already born again, you're really in trouble. People think after they're born again, they can just go and confess their sins again and again and again, and there's no problem. But that's not what I read from the Bible. I read that there's no more sacrifice for sin. Certainly the sins we committed before we were born again are forgiven. But what about after we have the knowledge of the truth in a matter? Do you commit the same sins that you did before you were born again? I don't. I hope you don't, for you have to crucify Jesus afresh if that's the case, and that won't happen. So there's some type of fearful penalty if we do that sin. The woman taken in adultery that we're told about in John chapter 8, Jesus said to her, he said, I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. She can't continue in adultery after she's born again, after she is forgiven. Neither can we continue in our past sins. When we see what we've done is a sin and we Agree with God that that is a sin. We're born again. We don't continue in that sin. My mother, who knew basically nothing spiritually that I know of, she wasn't in any church group. She was not born again during the years I was a child. After I was born again, I read Deuteronomy 18 to my mother. That's about horoscopes and things, for God forbidding them. 
And after I finished reading that scripture, she got very silent and she said, Well, I guess we better not do that anymore. That is really the bottom line to everything. The scripture says this, so I guess we'd better not do that anymore. God, through the Apostle Paul, said something else concerning sexual sins. 1 Corinthians verse 18. Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body. But he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. It's an extremely serious sin. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 7, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife. And every woman have her own husband. If it is God's will for you to marry, you will marry. You don't have to worry about it. You can trust in God. He will arrange it. He will bring the right person to you. I do not recommend that you go out and try to find the right person on your own, as the world does. I recommend that you turn to God in prayer and commit the situation to God in prayer. Be very open with him how you feel about everything and ask him to put you with the right person. I think it's extremely difficult for young women to make right choices. Eve was deceived in the transgression. I would hope that you have a godly father to help you. Or as a parent, I would hope you're a godly parent and would counsel your children. There are some parents that don't want to do that. They say it's your choice. You're the one who has to live with it. And you're kind of left on your own. In cases like that, if you can turn to God, He will help you. These are really, in my opinion, the most important decisions that you can make after you're born again is your mate. But if you can trust in God, I would think that would be the answer for you, the sure path for you. And if you, you definitely have the Holy Spirit if you're born again. I would assume the people listening to what I'm saying today are born-again people. For I don't think the others would want to hear this. God is our hope. 
He can get our attention on any subject and free us. I can tell you one thing. The scriptures are freedom from sin for us. It is a narrow way. Jesus said, straight is the gate, and narrow is the way that leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. For wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many go in that wide gate, because it is so easy to go in the wide gate. But on the narrow gate, as long as we turn to God, in the midst of the temptation, we will be helped. I'm absolutely sure we will be helped. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. Here's a promise of God. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. Everybody goes through these problems. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able. In other words, God will not give you more than you can handle. But will with the temptation also make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. In times of temptation, ask God for wisdom. If any ask for wisdom, if you ask God for wisdom, James 1.5 says, God will give you wisdom. And there's nothing like God's wisdom. The wisdom of man is not even close to what I've heard from God when I've turned to him and heard his wisdom. His way is so simple. It's such a simple way to go. It's usually very easy to be entreated. And it's so obvious after he tells us the way that we just marvel at God because we didn't see that. But he opens the door. He shows us the way to escape. There has no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will, with the temptation, also make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. There are so many times I have turned to God and said, please help me. And he has. There are so many times I've turned to God and said, please don't let me say that to her. Sometimes you want to just kind of tell a person off. That's our flesh, by the way. But the Spirit of God is something different from our flesh, totally opposite. So it's definitely the will of God to ask God not to let me say that. So I will frequently just say, please don't let me say that. And he always stops me, always. You can say, please don't let me do this. Please help me. No matter what the temptation, 
Another very strong temptation is concerns money. We definitely need to renew our minds to what the Bible says concerning money, for it's exactly opposite to that which you hear on television in movies and hear other people say. We certainly know the scripture, the love of money, is the root of all evil. Even in small amounts of money, it can lead you the wrong way. I have noticed people who are always buying things on sale. Have you ever noticed this? They love to tell you what they paid for the item. But if they pay full price, when do they ever want to tell you what they paid? It's because getting it on sale makes them seem so wise. It's very tricky. The love of money. It can be a very small amount of money, can be a very large amount of money, but if money is leading you to do something, you are very likely going the wrong direction. Just remember that. If money is the reason you're doing it, you're probably going the wrong direction. We are led by the Spirit of God. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, where Paul talks about this love of money, he starts out by warning us that if anybody among you thinks gain is a sign of godliness, turn away from that person. You look at an extremely rich man, he may be awe-stricken, you may be awe-stricken by him, but you don't know what he did to get that money. It may be the most evil thing imaginable. You don't know. So to suppose that gain is a sign of godliness is a big mistake. Paul goes on and says, Godliness with contentment is great gain. My dad was a very content person. He was a mechanic. And he was very good at what he did. And he was very interested in motors. When he was seven years old, his dad bought a car. Brought it home. This would have been in about the year 1910. His dad brought the car home and they all went in to eat, but my dad went outside, and he completely dismantled the entire car. When they came out from eating, my dad had placed every part of the car in a very specific order so he could put the car back together again. He wanted to see how it worked. He was very good with motors. But he was a, a very simple person, and often I underestimated him because he didn't seem impressive and powerful like a businessman might, but he was very solid. Godliness with contentment is great gain. He knew what he did best, and he stayed at it. 
And before he died, he said, I think I did all right. He, By the way, he was born again before he died. But before he died, he said, I've been thinking about my life, and I think I did all right. He said, I made enough money so that your mother could take care of you. I think I did all right. There weren't very many things to want for back in 1940. All we had was radio. There were no televisions. There were no phones. I lived out in a little village 30 miles north of Clovis, New Mexico, and we didn't have any telephones. No one had a telephone. We didn't miss a telephone. Nobody had a telephone. But when everyone around you has all these things, it can be harder probably. That's one reason it's more difficult. Paul said in the last days, perilous times will come. That's part of it. Because there are so many things to have and to get and to acquire. And it puts an additional temptation before us. However, when we belong to God and learn to call on God, we really have no problem because God will work it out for us. The key is learning to call on God and trusting in God, putting your trust in God. But Paul warns us about money. He says, Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us therewith be content. But they that will be rich, and I don't think that means being rich in the terms of the owner of Walmart or something like that. But I think being rich just means that pursuit of money, wanting more money, wanting more things. There is this thing today about these young people in their 20s expect to have a big house. I didn't have a house at all until I was 45 years old, and I I just had an apartment. I didn't even have a washer-dryer in the apartment. It was out in a common laundry area. But today, the expectations are so bad, so different. And sometimes you can get depressed because you don't have something. Definitely, I think you must belong to God if you're listening to me. Let's assume you do at this point. Trusting in God, calling on Him in the midst of every problem. When we start to feel that problem, calling on Him. And we all feel these bouts of problems hit us. I do. No matter how much you might learn or how old you might be or how many times you followed God, we still have these moments when doubt hits us. So they that will be rich fall into temptation unless you know how to fight through prayer. They'll fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. Very often I'll be watching a television show and 
there'll be a crime type drama. And the criminal will say, I did it for my family, but I did it for my family. No, they didn't do it for their family. For the best thing you can give your children or your wife or your husband or your mother or your father, the best thing you can give them is going in the way of God, godliness. For all of these things we can see with our natural eye will be destroyed. Everything you can see with your natural eye will be destroyed in the last days when God judges the earth. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drowned men in destruction and perdition. Now, if you're tempted right now or have been tempted on money, sit down with these scriptures and renew your mind to what God says, for it is correct. This is the correct way to look at the subject. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 6. So he says, For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But thou, O man of God, flee these things. Flee fornication. Flee these things when the money thing appears. Flee. That means don't reason it just get away from it get away from it turn to God always in prayer that is the most powerful thing you can do in a temptation but thou O man of God flee these things and follow after righteousness godliness faith love patience meekness fight the good fight of faith lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. One other thing today to really watch for is this enormously strong desire to be something to rise to the top, to be number one, to exalt yourself above other humans. That is a work of the flesh called emulation. Almost from birth, we are taught to outdo other people. One way or another, Philippians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul says, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem, let us esteem the other person better than ourselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, 
who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God. What does that mean? It means he didn't have to try to be God. He could accept not being God, though he was God. He was in the form of God, but he didn't have to outdo God. But he made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of a cross. And there was no worse death, no more despised death than the death of a cross. It was even called a curse. But he did it willingly because it was the will of God. Three times he asked if this cup could be removed from him. But if not, then not my will but thy will be done. That's a pattern for us. None of us wants to go to a cross. We all have desires that we want fulfilled. And sometimes our desires are not the will of God. If we pray according to the will of God, we know God hears us and it will be done for us. That's a promise in 1 John chapter 5. But what if you pray something that isn't the will of God? There was a young man who came to Lubbock, Texas, wanting a certain type of work. And he said to me, Will you pray that I get this job? And I said, no, I will not. For I don't know if it's God's will for you to work in that area. I will pray for the will of God to be done concerning your pursuit of this job. He did not get the job. No telling what would have happened to him if he'd gotten the job. I know a young man in the Philippines He's probably about 40 now, has a wife and child. All his life he's lived on church property. He read something I wrote concerning no man calling anyone reverend, and he believed it. And he told me, he said, these preachers here, and he was one of them, he was a minister. He said, they just love to be called reverend. He wanted me to come to the Philippines and speak about this subject, but I told him I just couldn't travel. So he stood up at his church and spoke about this. Call no man reverend. See, our pattern is the Bible. No man in the Bible called himself reverend. It's these men who want to exalt themselves who are doing it today. They want to make themselves into an idol. And they love to hear it when you call them reverend. Anyway, this young man spoke this to his church group and they were furious. They demanded that he vacate the housing which he lived in that belonged to the church group, that he leave the church He had never worked at a secular job, to my knowledge. 
When I heard the story, when he told me this, I said, well, do like Paul did. Go out and find a job and support your wife and child. And then in your spare time, preach the gospel. Apparently, he did not do that. I didn't hear from him for about three years. And then I got an email from him telling me an earthquake had struck the housing and his house, I think the church property, was totally destroyed. He wanted me to send money. I did not do that. I didn't respond to the email at all. I felt he did not go in the way of God, that he chose the security of the housing provided by that church group and changed the doctrine away from the Bible to please the church group. Had he gone in the way of God, what do you think would have happened to him? Had he actually gone out there and gotten a job, he might have been moved to a totally different city where the earthquake didn't strike. God knows what's coming. He knows when an earthquake is coming to your village. Don't you think he's able to move you? He sent angels to get Lot out of Sodom before he destroyed Sodom. Lot didn't want to leave Sodom. His wife didn't want to leave Sodom. The two angels literally bodily moved Lot and his wife out of Sodom. They took the hand of Lot, the hand of his wife, the hand of his two daughters, and the next thing Lot knew, he was outside of Sodom. And then Sodom was destroyed. I know God can move us away from these things, and if not, he can keep us during the thing, but I know he can move us. And I just felt this young man really brought all this upon himself by trusting in humans. Moses trusted in that which could not be seen. He endured because he trusted in that which was not seen. Moses was in a very desirable position. He was called the son of Pharaoh's daughter for she had rescued him out of the water and given him a home and brought him up in the ways of the Egyptians. But when he came of age, he turned his back on Pharaoh. Pharaoh was going to kill him. He had to flee for a time, but he didn't put his trust in what he could see. He trusted in that which is invisible. And we have to do that. On this subject of reputation, Jesus made himself of no reputation, though he was God. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. 
made himself of no reputation. I focused on that portion of that scripture for several months, and I set about to really cut down these idols around me in the sense of exalting myself. For there's such a desire to exalt yourself in the eyes of other humans. Follow the scriptures. Renew your mind to the Bible. What the Bible has to say. Choose to go that way. Even if it looks like you're going to fail, as long as you choose that route, at some point in time, God will turn the thing and you will not fail. You will never fail by following the scripture that is brought to you by the Holy Spirit. Let me just advise each of us, think of the last time a scripture was strongly called to your attention. The last time. Write that scripture down. Take off on that highway of that scripture. Let it lead you. Do what it says. Keep doing it. Until another scripture is brought to your attention, then go that way. You're going to get where God wants you. If you do that, you can't fail. There's absolutely no way you're going to fail. And he says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And I think that's the way you do it, is with prayer and following the scripture called to your mind by the Holy Spirit. Jump back on that highway, follow that scripture. Then when God wants you to have another scripture, you'll be reading the Bible and it will stand out to you. Turn on that road and go that way and follow it as long as it will carry you. And then another scripture will be there. Do these scriptures. Really live them. Do them. Make them a part of you by doing them. That's how you abide in Jesus. Every one of the scriptures that I've quoted today will be printed for you on our blog. Go to Jesus Ministries Exhortations. Look under Podcast, which is on the right-hand side of the homepage. Click on that. The scriptures that I've spoken today and the recording of this broadcast, Be Not Conformed to This World, you can look at everything that I have spoken by the Spirit of God. Again, the blog name is Jesus Ministries Exhortations. Instead of following after things that you can see, follow after Scripture. Follow after the way of God, which we do see through the Scriptures, through the written Scriptures, but follow after the way of God. Oh, and you might have had a dream that God showed you what to do. Pursue that. Go that way. And do it now. There is a time factor in following God. When he shows me something, I do it quickly. This is the way I've been taught. You don't want to postpone it. 
even more temptation comes to you if you say, I'll think about it. I do it immediately. When I have a scripture, I, I'm thrilled when, I, when God gives me a scripture, though. I see it as great treasure. I do see it like that pearl of great price. So the man that found this great treasure in the field and sold everything he had in order to get that one field. See, I see the scripture that way. It is basically the only thing worth following. And it will never let you down. Even if it seems like it's going to let you down, it won't let you down. This is Joan Boney speaking. I thank you for allowing me to speak these things to you today.